Each and every one of our co-hosts and participants bring valuable life experience, articulative ability, and a passion for representing the needs and views of youth across the state and beyond. We are the Gen Zero Podcast, forging tomorrow's leaders today. Tune in for new episodes every Friday at 12 p.m. Follow us on every social media platform at Gen Zero Podcast and check out our website, thegenzeropodcast.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Gen Zero Podcast. I'm your main host, Sophia Munif, and I'm joined today by the great and fabulous Rachel Minnick. Rachel is the Director of Strategic Programs at Youth and Family Collective, as well as the Executive Director of the Sacramento region of an organization called Reading Partners. It is through her 20 years of experience in working with nonprofits that we kind of know her personally. Uh, through a relationship with Impact Sac, the podcast's primary sponsors, we were given the opportunity to lead the program's curriculum for the duration of how long it was. It was 40 hour-long sessions, 13 feedback forms, and nine interactive presentations later that we delivered the participants' well-earned $400 stipend just last Friday. And we hear SAC Youth Works is having a second round of this amazing opportunity for teens. So welcome, Miss Rachel. Thank you for virtually being here today. Thank you. It's so exciting to see the results of your hard work over the summer with this podcast. It's just, I get goosebumps. So exciting. Yeah, And we met you through the SAC Youth Works celebration. How was that like for you, uh, seeing the culmination of everybody's hard work and their product? It was so gratifying to just see how many different projects youth worked on, how many different organizations there are, and just the creativity that came from it, especially during COVID. You know, I think um, a lot of people um, were feeling like they were losing hope in a lot of ways. And I know I would count myself in some ways as one of those people. And it really renewed my sense of possibility, um, my sense that people just find a way to be creative and to connect with each other, even when we can't connect face to face as much. So I was just blown away. I was emotional. I was talking to the city of Sacramento leadership about the celebration and the woman who is in charge, Lindy, of the whole project said it felt like the culmination of everything she had ever dreamed of in her career. And I was so just, I was speechless when she said that because I know how much she cares about youth and how much things like this podcast and other things just matter so much to her in amplifying the voice of our youth. Anything from your LinkedIn profile, it's that you care just as equally as anybody else. Uh, so for those of our listeners who don't know what the SAC Youth Works program was, can you give us a brief explanation? Yeah, so there was a lot of money that came from the federal government to address the impacts of COVID-19 on communities all across the country. Um, and that money was in something called the CARES Act. The CARES, CARES is an acronym. I don't know exactly what it stands for off the top of my head. But Sacramento received $89 million to address the impacts of COVID with this money. And a portion of those dollars was set aside to support youth. And the SAC Youth Works program or project came out of those dollars. So the idea was 
how do we get some money into the pocket of youth who basically don't have opportunities to do summer jobs? And I've always said that summer jobs are difficult to come by even in the best of times. But when you get down to COVID times, um, not only are youth struggling with employment, but their family members are struggling with employment. So how can we get money into the hands of youth? How do we support the nonprofit providers who are working with youth? And then how do we address through youth service the impact of COVID on our community? So that could be the mental wellness needs, that could be getting food or protective equipment out to the community. And so SAC Youth Works really mobilized organizations. So we mobilized 32 nonprofits and 400 youth to do service. Um, in exchange for a $400 stipend. So the youth did over 16,000 hours and I felt like so many of those were through Impact SAC, but um, the youth really just stepped up to the plate to give back to their community, to learn, to connect with each other. And in exchange, they were able to, you know, earn a little bit of money, which it's, I know it's not a lot, but it, it definitely is something. Good to hear. And we were lightly involved in the public commentary proceedings in regards to the CARES Act and how it was to be spent. And what we consistently observed in those involvements was that parents and students alike, they wanted money to be directed towards issues they felt were pertinent in the youth culture. So hearing all of this accomplishments from SAC Youth Works validates that so extremely well, and it really brings a sense of satisfaction to us all. So excellent. And you were the leading figure, one of the leading figures within this large-scale initiative as the director of strategic programs at Youth and Family Collective. So what were your duties? So really all of it. Um, Just to give you a little bit of background, um, in my introduction, I was introduced as also the executive director of Reading Partners, but unfortunately, COVID um, forced Reading Partners to close. We were serving in schools, doing one-to-one reading tutoring, but with schools closing and many of our major funding sources going away, uh, Reading Partners actually was not able to continue in Sacramento. So I was at a very kind of a sad place, to be honest, of, you know, what am I going to do with my career? I feel like I let so many of the community members down that we couldn't survive, but I had a relationship um, working in collaboration with pro youth and families on some projects um, when I was at Reading Partners. And this idea of nonprofits working together and working with pro youth on different collaborative projects over the last probably four years, um, this opportunity came up to, um, to jump in and start working on collaborative efforts with pro youth, which led to SAC Youth Works. So my duties with SAC Youth Works really was to help identify the process to um, find the nonprofit organizations. I figured out how much uh, money (laughs) everyone would get. So in the beginning, the the whole grant was $240,000. Initially, the, um, the city said, you know, what if we just give all the money to youth? And sorry, youth, but... Um, What I said was, I really want money to go to youth, but I also know that our nonprofit partners cannot serve youth if they're not also receiving funds to support the business of being a nonprofit organization, which is something I'm really passionate about. 
So I help negotiate kind of a balance of what are the youth receiving? What are the nonprofit organizations receiving? And so that felt like something really important to me. Um, I helped with the information sessions, the or creating the orientations, creating the work plan templates, um, just working with all of the different partners on all of their different needs, uh, making sure they're doing attendance, signing up for a training. I mean, pretty much it's, <laughs> it was pretty much mostly me um, having to manage a lot of those parts of it. But I really liked it because one, this was a pilot project, which I love new ideas. I love trying things. I love just like, you know, sometimes you don't always know how something's going to go, but you just, you know that you have to just move forward and try different uh, ways of doing a project like this. So we just went for it. Um, me and a couple of team members behind the scenes, and we were so excited just to see everything roll out. And I was able to just be like actively engaging with partners on the ground, you know, from attendance sheets all the way up to dealing with the contracts with the city just all of it. So when we started to get ready for SAC Youth Works Fall, which got refunded at $1.3 million, not $240,000, I felt like I had a really good sense of how to manage the program and how to engage with partners. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think that was just as much as it was a lot of work, um, I got to see everything inside and out, upside down and backwards. And it really helped me create the fall application and the fall program. Tell us about this fall application process. Did the success of the piloting program contribute to the increased funds you received? Um, yes, it did. I think um, as we were um, having, re so, so basically we got funded for the summer program and we had continual meetings with the city of Sacramento just to let them know how we were doing, what what data we were collecting, what we were learning about youth and from youth from the, the process. And I think they were really impressed with the partnerships and the different types of projects. And that we didn't, we, I think we struck a really good balance of trying to provide support to our partners like Impact SAC and others that were participating, but not dictating what their projects had to be. It was like, it has to be related to COVID, but we're not here to tell you what your organization should be or like dictate the mission and vision because every organization that participated has a slightly different mission, vision, and set of values. And so we really wanted to respect that. And I think the city was really understanding and appreciative of our approach to the partner relationships. So um, I tried to for it to really... Just like we want the projects to be youth-led, I wanted the nonprofits to lead on their parts of it as well, instead of some outside funder like us or anyone. I don't. When I was a nonprofit executive director, I did not like it when outsiders would kind of tell me how to do what I knew how to do. And so I really tried to respect our partners in that way. So I think our the city, I think the city really appreciated our approach. And saw that we were able to implement the program in a very short amount of time, which is not an ideal thing to do. You should, you know, take as much time as you possibly can to launch a really good program. But um, all the CARES money has to be spent by the end of the year, the end of um, 2020. 
So we have to turn these programs around really fast. And the city could see that we could also do that part of it as well. So we could move quickly, but but be good partners and good leaders. And so I think that was a deciding factor in the fall, but we had to compete for the 1.3 million. We had to put in an application. Um, other, other entities also applied for those funds. So we had to go through a selection process, but we, but we were selected, which was incredible. What was the defining, defining aspect of your, your edge? What was your edge in this application process? I think our edge was that we had done it, you know, that we had demonstrated that we could do it. Um, We demonstrated that we had the trust of our community partners um, and they were willing to embark on this journey with us over the summer in such a short period of time. And so I think they could see that they didn't have to worry whether or not there was a partner who would know how to do this. I think they knew and could see that we had already demonstrated success in getting this program off the ground. You said you've already demonstrated success that contributed to this idea of having faith in the SAC Youth Works. If not this stipend program in the summer, what did you guys do in the past that led this notion? So, you know, in the past, it was, it's been really interesting working in the nonprofit field as long as I have that collaboration overall hasn't really been very successful um, for a lot of reasons. And so that's honestly what, for my career, what makes SAC Youth work so special is that it really was a good balance of enough funding to support the work, but also kind of building a network of nonprofit providers who are working on a shared vision of helping youth get money into the pockets of youth, address COVID, but not like, not like trying to control them. So in the past, what I've seen is um, funders in a lot of cases will say, we want nonprofits to collaborate and we want you to collaborate on this very specific thing. And a lot of times it was like, well, that doesn't really work for our program. That doesn't really work for us. It's not really our vision or our values. But because we need funding, we're going to try to do the best we can to quote unquote partner or collaborate. So I think a lot of nonprofits have had the same thought process as me that like you collaborate if, um, sometimes because you just feel like you have to. And that's not really what collaboration is. Collaboration should not be forced. It should be a coalition of willing partners. So I think SAC Youth Works was able to strike that balance in a better way. This balance between not only attending to the needs of nonprofits, but youth as well. How did you come to this conclusion? You've said from your own observations and experiences in the nonprofit field that you didn't like being managed by these sponsors. How did you get this to pass, this idea of we don't have to manage them, give them flexibility because they know what to do with it? Yeah, I think I think it just comes down to trust. Um, you know, like I have a theory for my own, just in my own life that I would rather lead with trust and get burned sometimes than to never trust and burn people all the time. You know, it's like the way I have two children. My daughter um, is almost 19 and my son is 22. And that's kind of not, I don't mean, I don't mean it to sound like I'm parenting other organizations because that's absolutely not 
what I mean, but the way I always approached it with my kids, with other people I've managed, is that I trust you. I trust you to come to this with an open mind, an open heart, with true sense of care for the work that you're doing, or whatever it is you're doing. And I, um, I don't know everything. I don't know all the things. And so I'm trusting that the organizations who are part of SAC Youth Works are coming to this work because they truly care about youth and they truly care about Sacramento and they want to do good work. And instead of feeling like, well, you have to prove to me that I can trust you. Um, and I think a lot of times that is the message that nonprofits get is, okay, well, we're going to give you this money. So you have, but you have to prove that you're worthy. You have to prove that you're trustworthy. Um, and we flipped it around and it was like, we, we trust you. Um, and we believe that you know how to serve youth. We're not here to tell you that there's only one way to do it. Uh, and so I think to just that idea that we start with trust. We don't ask for people to prove it. And I ask, I hope that our partners see that with us too, that they trust us. But I also recognize that I have to earn that trust, that not everybody has that same idea and that you know, I might say, oh, I'm not here to tell you what to do or here to control you. But until I really demonstrate that with my actions, they might not trust me, but I can live with that. And I can accept that I have to work to earn um, the trust of other leaders. Being that the nonprofit community, in a, in a sense, is an altruistic field, uh, how do you manage the idea that there's a lot of competition for available funding? <laughs> yeah, I think you know, there's a uh, there's a really awesome guy who writes about nonprofits. His name is Vu Le, V-U-L-E. He's a nonprofit leader from the Seattle area. And he oftentimes referred to the nonprofit Hunger Games, <laughs> where, <laughs> where it's like, if I'm getting money, then this nonprofit over here is also trying to get that same grant. And like, we're basically fighting, um, you know, over the same dollars. And that's really what honestly led to this idea of how do we do things differently? How do we collaborate to um, create projects like SAC Youth Works instead of being the nonprofit Hunger Games? And like, instead of seeing other nonprofit organizations as comp quote unquote competition, how can we work together? How can we come together to a funder like the city of Sacramento and say, you know, how do we get $1.3 million out to all of these organizations as quickly as we can, rather than one organization saying, you know what, give us the $1.3 million and all by ourselves, we'll do this. We'll like one organization could not have done SAC Youth Works by itself. There's no way. There's no way that the number of hours, that the variety of projects serving so many different neighborhoods across Sacramento, um, so many different kinds of youth um, from different walks of life. One organization could not do that. So I think what we've noticed um, in our partnership opportunities is the more we have let go of control and trying to be quote unquote competitive, the more um, opportunities have actually come our way. Like more dollars have come our way, more partnerships have come our way, more people are coming to us and saying, we have this idea, how can we work with you? You know, how can we get a funder interested in this, this or this? Um, and so it's like the more we have stopped being competitive, the more 
we've had opportunities to to grow and to expand partnerships. It's been really interesting to watch that happen. That's an amazing philosophy. Do you know of any other nonprofits that are engaging in the similar belief? Um, you know, I think I think that there's <laughs> there's kind of like that idea that like what's the what would be the ideal world that we could all live in? And I think, you know, what we're trying to do with something like SAC Youth Works and the Youth and Family Collective is to like kind of speak to that higher, the better angels in all of us that, you know, we don't have to fight with each other. Um, There's a common mindset across Sacramento that I honestly myself have perpetuated this mindset. And I know I need, I need to go on my blog and like uh, um, update it to say like, I was wrong, but there's always this idea in Sacramento that there's too many nonprofits you'll hear that a lot. Like people will say, oh, there's too many nonprofits and they're all competing and they're all, you know, there's not enough money for all of these nonprofits. And I really bought into that for a long time too, because as a nonprofit executive director, I was just struggling to get funding. So if there were fewer nonprofits, ideally there'd be more money to go around. But um, what I've noticed over time is nonprofits are, like startups, you know, like you rarely hear somebody say, oh, there's too many tech startups, you know, there's too many computer startup companies. But people say that about nonprofits all the time. And I realize that, you know, not little nonprofits crop up because there are people in the community who don't see people who look like them serving the community. So they were like, you know what, I'm going to do it myself. I'm not going to wait around for a big organization to figure it out, I'm going to launch this youth initiative, or I'm going to get food out to the community, or I'm going to grow healthy food or whatever it is. They're not seeing the larger organizations being responsive to them or welcoming them. So they start their own. And to me, that's like, that's like crazy entrepreneurship right there. Like, it's so impressive to me that when somebody just tells you, no, no, we're not going to hire you, or you're not qualified to work in our nonprofit, they say, you know what, I'm going to start my own. And so the SAC Youth Works partnerships, I think, in so many cases, are those entrepreneurial nonprofits who are like, you know what, we we don't need someone telling us what to do. We're going to do what we know is right, what we know works, and what we're not seeing in the community right now. So when we say there's too many nonprofits, uh, why do people keep starting them? <laughs> they keep starting them because they don't see what they need out there in the existing field of organizations. And going back to funding, well, you you didn't indiscriminately trust everybody. You did have an application process, right? What was the requirements each nonprofit had to fulfill? So it was pretty pretty straightforward. Um, Because it's federal money, there are certain guidelines, like you have to be a, a nonprofit organization that's in good standing with the the internal revenue service. So the government, you have to be in good standing with the government. Um, But other than that, what we were really looking for were plans to address the 40 hours. So what kind of project did you want to do with youth? Tell us about that. What's your experience working with youth? How are you going to tie what you're doing back to COVID-19 in some way? Um, how do you, how are you addressing the mental wellness and mental health of youth? So we asked the nonprofits who were applying 
questions like that, like, what are you going to do with these 40 hours to make it really meaningful for youth? And, and that's really how we evaluated it. So there was such a, it was, what I liked about it is that we did have so much flexibility to really, you know, look at projects in ways like when we were first creating the application, I was, they were like, you know, you need to put examples of projects that the nonprofit partners can do. And I was like, kind of hitting a wall because anytime you start spelling it out a lot, then people are like, oh, it says, you know, food distribution, or it says like handing out masks and gloves and hand sanitizer. But I didn't want organizations to feel limited by that. By just if I put examples like that, even though we did put examples like that. Um, But what came back was infinitely more interesting and creative just in the applications. And then when I started seeing the photos and the videos and the writing samples and art that the youth were doing, it was astounding to me how much what you see on paper tells you something, but it it really doesn't tell you the whole story of how organizations really engage with youth and amplify the youth voice. So, um, we yeah we led with trust we have to have a paper trail to document who we selected and why we selected them um, and make sure that they have a clear work plan and week by week what are they going to be doing are they taking attendance things like that mainly so that we can document that we spent these dollars appropriately but um it it the process was pretty interesting because we had some community members who actually scored the applications. That's what we're doing right now as well for the fall. And um, so we, while we had ideas about different partners and who we thought would be really great for SAC Youth Works, we also wanted to get outside input, which is why we sent the applications to have them, you know, be reviewed by other members of the community who weren't directly involved with SAC Youth Works, but had experience working on collaborative projects, working with youth, working in nonprofit, working in government. So we, we definitely had um, a variety of voices that actually made the funding recommendations for us, which was great too. It seems that all of this was powered by a singular genius, which is Rachel Minnick. That is amazing. <laughs> End of interview. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning into the Gen Zero podcast. Be sure to tune in for the next episode.